right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Got a little uh, little change of pace for you today. I get a lot of feedback from people saying they want they want to hear gambling stories. You know, some of the some of the pros that we've had on are a little bit hesitant to name dollar amounts or tell the really really good uh, gambling stories. So I went a little outside the box. Had somebody from Daniel Negranu's camp reach out and uh, suggest that we have Daniel on. Uh, he gets to a little bit of his background, but uh, just to touch on it here. He's a professional poker player, maybe the most famous professional poker player in the world, not named Phil Hellmuth. Uh, He's had an unbelievable career, and he's going to touch on that and lives a gambling lifestyle and also plays some golf and bets a ton of money doing it in the process. And he names the actual numbers and talks a lot about the actual crazy bets that he's made. So uh, to tie this in, we had to, this was too easy to, this integration was almost too easy to talk about the, uh, the suits uh, Truvis golf balls from Callaway. They have the spades, clubs, hearts, and diamonds. These are what I play exclusively now. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll usually start with the spades. Those are my favorite. And as soon as I hit one in the water, I'll switch up suits and uh, continue that cycle until I'm probably all the way through uh, a dozen. I've been talking a bit about this on The Refuge, just about how much they've helped my putting. I don't know why. I think it's just because I don't have to see a line rolling end over end, and I don't have to see how off-center a lot of my putts are. Every putt that I hit looks really perfect. It's probably not, but it looks that way. It almost it feels a lot more like you're kicking a soccer ball than it does rolling a golf ball. And I, again, I have no idea why that works. I actually hit a couple putts with uh, some non-Truvis balls last week in Reno, and the results were pretty shaky. So I'm totally sold on these things. You can go to CallawayGolf.com. It's the same Truvis. I'm sorry, the same Chrome Soft Golf Ball that you know and love. Uh, and you can get you buy a dozen, and it gives you a sleeve of each suit. So please, I promise, do that. You will not regret it. Just give it a try. You know, if you know somebody or see somebody with the Truvis balls, just give them a try. I promise this is not a gimmick. I thought it was a gimmick when they came out, but they have honestly helped me so much with my game. So uh, without much further delay, I, again, we're going to talk some poker here with Daniel. I thought it's important to set the scene, and hopefully there are some poker fans out there that know and are, and are familiar with Daniel and uh, some of his stories. So we're going to talk some of that, and then the rest of the time we are going to talk golf, and then it comes back around a little bit to poker at the end. But uh, I do hope this is worth your time, and thank you very much for tuning in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. We're, uh, we're going a bit outside the box with this one. Uh, this is something I've always been intrigued to do uh, with professional poker player, maybe the professional po- uh, poker player, Mr. Daniel Negranu. Daniel, are you, are you curious as to what you're doing on a golf podcast, or do you know what you're doing here? I think I know what I'm doing because poker, gambling, golf, all sort of go hand in hand to a certain degree. Without a doubt. And it's, I kind of do want to tap into that uh, gambling mentality because I know I've heard some stories about you on the golf course and you know, kind of the level of play that uh, some of the games you get yourself in. But uh, and for the listeners at home, I promise we will bring this around to golf, but I want to kind of set the scene some with poker. I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with you, but in case they aren't, kind of give us the, your background in poker and what your career has been like to this point. Well, I'm 45 as of a few days ago, and uh, I was inducted into the Hall of Fame as early as you can, a first ballot uh, when I was age 40. Um, I was the all-time money leader in poker history for most of my career. I've won World Series Poker Player of the Year twice, uh, six gold bracelets, um, over $40 million in earnings in tournament poker. 
and lots of other stuff. So yeah, I've had a very good poker career and, uh, you know, my, my golf results are a lot less illustrious. <laughs> I was gonna say, you probably don't have a resume that you could just spout off with golf like you do there. But first of all, let's, let's start with an easy transition. Like what are kind of the similarities and differences between for yourself? I mean, you, you're obviously a professional at poker and, and one of the best ever at it. How does that at all translate into golf? And what's that like kind of a sport that you're not the best at? And how, how do you kind of balance uh, how you gamble on the golf course? So first and foremost, there are so many similarities in terms of like what happens to you mentally in poker tournaments and in um, golf tournaments. So when you hit a bad golf shot, right, where you really mess up and you screwed up and you put yourself in a bad spot, the question is what happens next? In poker, we call it tilt. Let's say you get pocket aces. You go all in, you know, or you make a mistake or something like that and somebody beats you with a nine and a four and it drives you crazy. If you're still thinking about that poker hand like an hour later or two hours later, you're done because you're not focused on what you need to be doing. I would imagine the same is true. I remember Tiger Woods was quoted once as saying, you know, because he was he was attacking putts, his first putt, pretty aggressively. And people were like, how can you, you know, attack your, why are you doing that? And you're leaving yourself like five, six feet back on the second putt. He's like, I'm not thinking about this, the next putt. You know, he's focused on the putt at hand. And I think those that have the mental uh, ability to, especially in the crunch, like in a major, right? On You know, on the final round, you're up by two. And all of a sudden, you're just, you know, you got to keep your head straight on you know, uh, what you got to be doing here and, and, um, not overthinking things in, in, in both, well, endeavors, poker and golf, uh, mental fortitude is, is like super important. Well, how did you get into poker? Like what was the beginning of, of your career like? And I'm curious to kind of hear how the world of poker has changed, uh, really in the television era in the last couple of decades. Well, I started as a teenager, as a snooker player, which is part of the reason I'm arguably the best putter in the world right now in golf. <laughs> I'm <laughs> top five. Who is arguing this? Uh, not, well, Tiger Woods tried to claim that he was better than me, and I told him I don't think so, but you know, we could prove it on the course. We never ended up doing that. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so uh, I started playing pool, and then through that met some people who played poker, played in some underground games and things like that, and then uh, started taking it more seriously, and then made the move to Las Vegas, which was the hotbed for poker at the time. Well, did you have success right away in poker? I guess, how did you kind of hone your skills and develop into what you eventually became as a poker player? Like, like with anything, right? Like how many people would go out and golf for the first time and be really good at it, right? So I wasn't very good at poker in the beginning, but I, I was a quick, quick study and I was engaged and I've always been a very competitive person. So I started to like work hard and study what other people were doing and what was working. And, uh, you know, within a few months I was beating the, the game that I was in, you know, starting in Toronto. And then of course... When I made the trip to Las Vegas, you know, I was like a hometown hero and they've seen, you know, hundreds of those come through town. And so as expected, you know, I got my butt kicked by the actual, you know, top players and had to go back to Toronto, rebuild my bankroll and, uh, you know, kept going back until finally the light bulb went off and uh, I was able to make some adjustments and start winning. I was curious if there ever was there a time, maybe it's in that initial trip to Vegas or maybe as you're emerging into a, being a really good winning player, was there ever a time where you looked down at a particular hand, maybe in a cash game, and you're like, holy shit, I am playing for way too much money right now. Was there ever a moment? Because right now, you know, hearing kind of the money that you throw around on the golf course, it doesn't seem to phase you much, but there was a time in your life, I would imagine that that wasn't always the case. Oh, there were countless times where I'd be at the Mirage, which is where the, you know, the poker, the center of the poker world was for, you know, in the late nineties and, uh, you know, have all my money on the table. And I remember one morning I woke up with just $600 and I went to go play 20 and $40 limits, which is way higher than you should play with 20, with only $600. And I remember within an hour I was, I lost like 512 of it. So I had like 
eight, I had like 82 bucks left. And I was like, screw this. They're not going to bust me in this game. So I took, I took my 80 bucks and I went to go play one to five dollar seven stud with nobody under 70 years old. Right. And, uh, I won like a hundred bucks in that game. So now I've got about 182. Now I say, let's kick it up and go to six dollar, twelve dollar. This is all in the same day. I win another hundred. I got two eighty six. I'm like, you know what? Let's give ten twenty a try. I win about four hundred in the ten twenty. So now I'm back to six eighty six. I'm like, let's go back to that twenty forty game. <laughs> I win about two thousand in the twenty forty game. I never played forty eighty, which was a higher limit at the highest limit at the time. And I said, screw it, let's go. So I turned that eighty two dollars, which I didn't quit on, and turned it into six thousand by the end of the night. <laughs> and what was your first, I guess, big, uh, big tournament winning? And what was that like? Well, I think, I mean, I had, you know, there's always different scale, right? For like big, because when I was in Toronto, you know, 19,000 was big. But the first big one that sort of put me on the map was in 1998. And it was the first ever World Series of Poker event I'd ever played. And uh, I, I I jumped in there, you know, and, and was was able to go all the way and win like a hundred, what was it, like two, how much was it, 180,000 at the time? Which uh, didn't last very long, but you know, it, it was a good score. <laughs> do you have like good good years in poker, like you do like good and bad years in poker, like you would in golf? Does it vary a lot from year to year? Oh, even more so than golf. Like, listen, if you're a top ten golfer, you're you're gonna have you're gonna put up results regardless. Like, there is some luck in golf, but nowhere near as much luck as there is in poker tournaments. You can be a good player, you know, a winning player, and play well all year and still have a losing year. You know, that's that's doable. I've, I did it uh, about. Two, three years ago, I had like a very small losing year. Well, small relative, like seventy or $80,000. Um, the year before, I won like $2.5 million. The year after, I won $1.7 million. So, uh, yeah, in short term, luck plays a big role. So, you know, and that's one of the things. That's one of the reasons that it requires such like mental strength and fortitude. I think any poker player would benefit from playing golf. And any golfer would benefit from dealing with like bad luck at poker. Yeah, I've I've always absolutely loved poker. I think I got kind of swept up in it right during that TV boom era in the early 2000s. Did that help? Like for a player like yourself who was already established at that point, did that TV boom bring a lot more people to Vegas ready to ready to play? And did you just start sweeping up at that moment? Well, yeah, it made the tournaments huge. You know, yeah. like tournaments that might have seen maybe 30, 40 people now balloon to like four or five hundred you know, overnight because of, you know, the televised product. And, you know, then all the other opportunities came in, sponsorship opportunities. If you're a prominent name in the game, you know, there was online companies spending money. And, and you know, so there's a lot of different ways that money just flew in during that boom. So when did you pick up a golf club for the first time? Were you always a golfer and, or is this kind of just the way I've always understood it is, you know, you guys, you guys love to gamble on pretty much anything. And that was one more thing to gamble on. And a lot of, uh, a lot of poker, poker players end up taking up golf later in life than, uh, than most of us that have played it a long time. Is that the case? Oh yeah. Like, I don't think I started until I was about 30 or 31 years old, right around that time. And I, I didn't get, I didn't get a coach or anything like that. And I developed I think the flattest swing possible. Like I basically tried to, I mean, I, it was like, it's really pathetic. I wish I could show you how how ridiculous it was, but I was just, I tried not to like, I tried to keep my left arm straight the whole time, never move it, which, you know, doesn't sound all that bad, but that's it. And then just come through and uh, (laughs) what do you know? Like it didn't, it hurt my back a little bit too. Not swinging. My my form was pretty bad, but uh, after a while, you know, once we started gambling bigger, I realized, yeah, I, I might, not, I might need to get you know better at this game. Was it a bet that brought you into it, or did you start losing right away and then and, and learn pretty quickly that you needed to improve to make money on the course? Well, at the very beginning, it was just a couple friends. You know, we we're like, let's try golf. I'm like, okay, cool. But you know, pretty shortly after that, you know, once I started to get a little bit better, 
you know, gambling became a big part of it. And uh, at that point, I still not got, I didn't have coaching. And I remember one time going up to the tee and all the old hustlers came out for this because, you know, poker players who golf, nobody has a handicap. <laughs> they all tell you what they shoot about. Oh, I shoot about 90. You know, I'm about a bogey golfer. I played against a guy who was a bogey golfer, Mike Sexton. He shot 75. I don't know how many bogey <laughs> golfers that had three. He birdied four, five, and six on the way to a smooth 75. Hey, and you know, I played four times in a row. I played with a guy who had the best round of his life. <laughs> you know, it's like, hmm, this seems like coincidental. And I remember just going up to the first tee the very first time, and Doyle Brunson would say, okay, I'll give you three aside. And I said, okay, Dewey Tomko, I'll give you four. Okay, Chip Reese, I'll give you five. I said, okay, I didn't even negotiate. You know, and that first day, I think I lost like 580,000 oh to those guys. Um, and then, of course, Phil Ivey. You know, we used to golf a lot back in those days. And I remember one time at Shadow Creek, I guess my grip was a mess and I didn't have anyone who was there to help me at the time. And he did and everyone else did. And I just didn't have a chance. Like I couldn't get the ball in the air and, you know, I lost like 1.2 million to him <laughs> in one round. Is that the most you've ever lost in one day on the golf course? I think so. Yeah. By a little bit. <laughs> so, all right. So at the end of that, like try to help put that into perspective. I mean, cause you live a gambling lifestyle, you're betting every day. Are you just devastated to go home after losing 1.2 million? Does that set you back in any way? Or what's that, what's that really do to you psychologically? No, it, it's certainly not happy, but what the first thing I typically would do is go to the range. You go, what the hell? Why can't I get the ball in here? And I would, you know, I would mostly, it's obviously the great thing I love about playing golf and gambling on it is it's, it's all on you, really. You know, in poker, you can do everything right and still lose. In golf, that's rare that that's going to happen. Um, so, you know, I would just reflect. And then ultimately, I was lucky enough to run into a, a guy named Christian Sanchez. And we were playing in some TV tournament, a poker TV tournament thing. And, you know, he offered to help caddy for me. And uh, we started uh, on a trend. I'd say at that point in my golf career, I was probably stuck about $3 million total. Just no chance. And then after Christian... So there's like pre-Christian, post-Christian. After Christian, um, we got all that money back with a little bit of gravy and some very fun matches and some unique opportunities. He really just started from the basics. He's like, here's how you hold the club. Here's how you stand. You know, grip and posture. I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. You know, <laughs> just off that first thing, I, I, was, I was shocked. And of course, as anyone knows, if you've tried to adjust your grip, he had me holding the club where like I didn't even feel like I was, I, could hit, I didn't think I could hit the ball at all. And, uh, he, you know, obviously he knew what he was doing and I didn't. So I listened and trusted. And uh, then when we had matches and things like that, he was able to help me negotiate. And, say, and, you know, he would tell me, I'd say, Christian, is this a good game for me? And he'd be like, no, you can't. <laughs> I was going to say with poker players, that's like getting into like a preflop. Like the negotiations made on the tee are pretty much going to going to decide the outcome, I would imagine. Cause you... Oh, no question. And with Christian, see, because Christian, he's the very analytical thinker, very safe with his money. You know, he's a dad with kids. I remember one time we were at Shadow Creek and there was a ruling ball went in the water and um you know it was red staked or something and christian said no you can drop right here or whatever and the other guy david Oppenheim, thought no no you have to go back behind the water or something like that and uh david wanted to bet me on this ruling he's like i'll bet you five thousand that i'm right and i said christian i said christian how much would you bet on that it was just like how confident are you he's like i'd bet a thousand i go let's make it twenty thousand <laughs> And of course, Christian was right. So we won that bet. But I remember poor Christian the first time because we just started working together and it had only been, you know, a week or two. And the very first time we get in a match, me and him, and he hadn't been playing much. And he's, you know, a scratch golfer, coach, all that thing. We hadn't been playing a lot of golf. And the first time we play, we're in like a match for like $50,000 a hole. And he's playing for, for some of it. And he's getting a free roll on it. And I remember like the first six, seven holes, he did not look good. 
he was very, very rusty and I carried the team, but, uh, that was his, he was afraid that, you know, we're going to lose like 300,000 and I was going to, you know, fire him. <laughs> well, how, yeah. How's that work? So he's free rolling, meaning like you get his winnings and like, you got to cover his losses as well. Or was he getting the winnings if you guys would have won? How does that work? So let's say, for example, you're playing 50,000 a hole, depending on the deal you make with your caddy or whatever, like he'd have a free roll. So whatever we win, he gets 5% of, right? Which, okay. you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it actually, you know, if you win $100,000, he just makes 5,000 bucks. That, and sound, that does anything. sound like a lot. I don't know if you know who you're talking to. It sounds yeah, like well, you know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> compare it five, the, the number 5% doesn't sound like sure. a lot, but when you, when, you, when you know that you could win like 200,000, now he's talking about 10,000, which is real money to him. Okay. And so that's, that's the same way for the caddy and for the, like a player that you, like if you and I were to go play, I'm not putting up that kind of cash, but you would say you would cut me like 5% of the winnings. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Like I've played matches where, um, you know, the partners would each put up half, but in a case like this, you know, Christian is my, is my ringer, my pro. So, uh, and he's not, he's not gonna be able to afford playing 50,000 a hole. So we set up the match and then, you know, um, I give him a little bit of a free roll. So if you and uh, how much golf have you guys have you played with Phil Ivey and how often do you guys uh, continue to play? Well, he's back to playing now. So, you know, he's been playing pretty much every day, but uh, we used to play pretty regularly, you know, like for, the thing about Phil, which was very frustrating and just he's such a, he's like such an insane gambler when it comes to craps and all these other things. Like he doesn't negotiate there, but on the golf course, I, I remember, can't tell you how many times like Dole Brunson would show up. We we're supposed to play at 11 a.m. and everyone's there at 11. At about 3.30, we finally go home because they couldn't agree on a match. Like they argued for four hours about, no, I'll give you five and a half. No, you get five and a half in a tee spot. No, no, I got to tee it up from everywhere and blah, blah, blah. And it was just constant, you know, and, but, but Phil, had, he was just a killer on the golf course. Like I got some Phil Heavy stories that are next level. Just an absolute killer. Well, so are you up or down on Phil Ivey in your lifetime playing golf? Well, if you ask him, he'll oh, say yeah. that I'm up. But uh, I know that that's probably not true. I, I did go through a run. I, this is a guy who this, – this actually happened. So Phil Ivey and I, we played – this is at a point where both of our games were pretty even. So we played a match even. And on the front first six holes, he's, he's up three. Or, yeah, yeah, he's up three on me. He's won the first uh, – he has up three on six. I win seven, eight, and nine. So we're dead even after nine, okay? Now, typically, if you gamble and you break even after nine, you don't ask for an adjustment, Okay. <laughs> He's like, this game's not fair. I can't play this game. This game's not fair. I can't play this game. His caddy, Danny Dotson, who was, you know, a big time player himself, he left. He just left after nine. He's like, nope, we're not playing this one because I started to come around a little bit. So, yeah, that, that's, that's what I had to deal with playing with Phil Ivey. Is there, I mean, how do the bets work? Are you guys just throw out like on a hole by hole basis, like little, you know, do you throw a ball down on the side, say 10,000 closest to pin? I mean, I imagine it's pretty freewheeling. Is that fair to say? Um, well, Phil was different. Phil liked to play per hole because with Phil, Phil liked to, if he, Phil was really good. If like after six, seven holes, he wasn't feeling it, he would just quit. Like he would try to not make matches where, you know, you must play the 18. Um, the matches we typically played for bigger money were Nassau's with automatic presses. So if like you're playing, you know, a $20,000 Nassau per side, and then, you know, they press the back typically, and then there's presses on the front and presses on the back. That was typical. And then within the game, there was always like Phil Ivey one time. This is, this is unfair to, he's playing with a guy named Joe Cassidy and he's about 65 yards out and he just had a feeling. Okay. He's got oh, a wedge no. in his hands, of course. And he's like, what do you, what can I get on this? What can I get that I make this? And Joe's like, I'll give you 200 to one. Right. Which is not nearly the right price. Like, I don't know what tiger is from there, but I can't imagine he's much better than that with one shot without practice. <laughs> so of course, Phil says, all right, I'll bet a thousand hits the shot. 
Dribble, 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 right into the hole. Beat the no. guy for 200000 Yes. <laughs> no way. <laughs> you know, poor Joe, his jaw dropped. The money was like basically all the money that he had. And, you know, he couldn't breathe after that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, do you ever got, do you guys ever get in games with people that, you know, might even be better players than you are, but just don't kind of gamble at the same level that you guys do and watch them get really affected by the prices that they're playing for? Oh, yeah. We've gambled with like some of the, I mean, we gambled with Scott Piercy back in the day at TPC Summerlin, you know, in scramble matches. And I remember, you know, one year, well, it was two years in a row, myself, Christian, and a couple other guys who were not very good either, short guys. But the one thing we all had in common was all four of us could putt. And we played against this other three, this group of three. Patrick Antonius was one of them. These big, strong behemoths who all hit at 370. Well, we set up a scramble match. Them three versus us four. We got a T spot, but we get four shots to their four, to their three. On average, for birdie, they were probably, you know, 10 to 12 feet, and we were 20 to 25, except they didn't putt like we could putt, and we got four putts. So I ended up winning like a million plus two back to back years on that match. Like we shot one day they shot 60, you know, which is pretty good. You know, in a scramble, we shot 56. Oh my God. So like, you know, and, and by that point we were playing like 150,000 a hole because when you're talking about, you know, you're not going to win or lose a lot of holes when you're, when you're scrambling like that. It's going to be a lot of birdies. Do you have, is there an amount of money that you could play for that would be an uncomfortable amount? Of course. Yeah. What is There's it? <laughs> I don't even know what that number is, but you know, it's been a while since we've gambled that high. Most of the super high stakes gambling on the golf course is kind of dissipated. Why is that? I think, well, a lot of people don't have, they lost a lot of money. Right? <laughs> you know, if, you, if you lose all your money on the golf course, there was a couple guys who were what we would call suckers. And uh, when they went, when that dried up, people just didn't really want to play as high. Well, uh, I, not to keep going back to the well on Phil Ivy, but you said you had stories here, but I want to hear, the, there was one, I was watching some videos on YouTube, uh, scraping what I could find. There was one that uh, you just bet him $100,000 that you would make money on the day, like from somebody else. You had a side bet with him. Do you remember this? I don't. It was something about, oh. uh, it's like a 2000. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, yes. That I just bet that I would win. Yes. So you made, you, that I would, you made like 50 K yeah. in the match or something like that. But then you also won a hundred K from Phil who wasn't even there to bet. Oh yeah. He wasn't even there. <laughs> there was another bet that I made one night we were out, we were, uh, we were like this, you know, we we're having some sake and some beers and we we're talking about, and my golf game was not very good. Like the back tees at TPC Summerlin is about 7,000 yards. I can't hit a driver more than two thirty, So I don't hit any of the greens from the back there, but I bet them. Give the, they gave me a year that I could shoot 80 from the back tees there. So I'm drunk and we're all drinking and I bet $550,000 on this. <laughs> and so I have a month to spare, but I get as many rounds as I, as, I, as I need. So with about a month to spare, you know, I go out there and I'm like, all right, 110, 108, 106. Okay, that's my first three rounds. That's what you're <laughs> starting at and you had to break yes, 80. and I have a month. So we woke up at 7 a.m. every day. I went, we practiced for an hour, played 18, practiced for another hour, played another 18, played nine more and then practiced again. So I would go from 7 a.m. till about 8 p.m. every day. And for, you know, within about a week, I was shooting low 90s, you know, maybe a week later, you know, mid to high 80s. And uh, with about a week and a half to spare, actually, they, I, I was two under after nine. And so then all the carts started coming oh, out because no. they were like, oh boy, here he comes. There was probably 60 golf carts on the last three holes sweating me. And so when the, in the last three holes, I needed to go bogey, bogey, bogey to win the bet. And uh, there was the three toughest holes also, just the way that it set up. And of course, you know, on the the first one is the, f the first one is the easiest of the three. So I of course double bogey that. Mm. Now I need to par one of the last uh, two, and I make par on the on the second to last one. And then I have a six footer for all the money to win. I I'm a, I'm actually a good putter, 
but this putt, I hit the putt, and as I hit the putt, my knees sort of kind of fell to the ground in a way, <laughs> but somehow the ball went in. So that's, <laughs> and I made it. That's enough to get you nervous then. 550K. I think we might have at least answered the question at least a little bit on what makes you well, nervous. Well, it was also, too, just the way that it came down. Like yeah. the last two holes, like I hit basically my strategy was driver three wood, you know, because I couldn't hit the greens, just get close, chip and putt. And I was pretty good at the chipping and putting part. And like the last, and I hit the good drive, good three wood, and, and all the pressure and everybody around, I just shanked my chip and like hit it way long. So I've got like a basically 60, 70 yard for foot, like two putt, which is brutal. You know, I lifted six feet past the hole, had to make a comeback around back to back holes to finish. But that was probably the, the pinnacle of, uh, you know, of achievement as far as golf. Cause we really worked hard. I mean, I'm not, no joke. We like spent 12 hours in the course every day. <laughs> I love like you guys make all these, these bets are kind of reckless to begin with and then actually like dedicate yourself to it, to actually accomplishing it. But what, um, so who are, I guess some of the best poker players, who are the best golfers out of the poker players and who is actually good at like, from what I gather, watching you guys play poker and stuff like that, you guys shit talk each other pretty well at that, at that level. Who's the best shit talker on the actual golf course? Well, the best shit talker, and this would surprise people is Phil Ivey. Yeah. He is on, he, like I said, he's ruthless out there. One time, this is just an, un, this is just like, so Phil Ivey. Like he used to like to get under his opponent's skin and get them off and make them uncomfortable. There was a time where he's on 18 and he's got like a lot of money on this putt against Mike Sex and all these people. It's like huge for all the matches, all the marbles. It's about a 20 footer. Okay. He asks his caddy, he says, what, is, what does it do? He's like, the caddy looks at it. He says, it's dead straight, Phil. He's like, dead straight. He's like, yeah, it's dead straight. He's like, are you sure? And the caddy's like, yeah, it's dead straight. I so would Phil not hits the putt. Be that caddy. <laughs> right. Well, Phil hits the putt and the putt is tracking pretty dead straight. But at the last minute, like right when it's getting to the hole, it, it fades to the left. And it, it sort of it hits the lip, but then it drops in. So he makes the putt. He wins all the money. First thing he looks at his caddy, he looks at his caddy and he goes, dead straight, huh? He's like, Phil, you made the putt. He's like, that's not the point. I'm playing for a lot of money out here. You said it was dead straight. And he started yelling and screaming at his caddy as he's collecting all the money from the opponents who are just dejected and have to listen to this spoiled brat yell at his caddy and his caddy's like what in the world just happened like you made the putt phil so he but he would and then i saw him as he walked to his cart he's just grinning ear to ear just messing with the caddy then hundred <laughs> percent messing with the caddy but doing it in front of everyone else to upset them even more how's your shit talking game um well with phil it's pretty good but uh you know how do you get under his skin what do you say to him well, it, none of it is like PG or whatever, because like, this is a non PG podcast. You're totally so this is like, Oh my God. Like not PC at all. Like we go, we go super like he, he's like, we just go with stuff that like is not okay. In 2019, <laughs> we go extremely racial. Right? <laughs> so I'm the little white guy. Like he's like, I, I, one time I was like, man, you should be embarrassed losing to a little white boy like me, <laughs> you know, like just stuff like that. And we would needle each other in that way. Do you guys pay? How do you guys pay out? Do you pay cash? Is it like, does Venmo even work for those numbers? Or you just keep a tally oh or how's that work? Well, this, no, nobody Venmos. Like we didn't, we don't Venmo those kind of sums. Typically what we do is like, nobody brings that kind of money to the golf course. Um, so a lot of times what you see is people golf and then they go to the, the poker room later and most people have, you know, an account there or chips there. So basically you lose 150,000, you just give them like 150,000 in Bellagio chips and just throw them at them. <laughs> Although one time I did get paid at the golf course when I won that million bet and the guy brought like, he just, he, he beat me, I beat him for like 700,000 and he just gave me like $25,000, uh, Bellagio chips. I know you mentioned, uh, Scott Piercy. Are there any other pros in the Vegas, uh, Vegas game that you ever play games with? 
Well, he was the only uh, like official pro that would, you know, you know, he, he would practice at Summerlin a lot of time and get involved in some, you know, scrambles late at, you know, cause it doesn't get dark in Vegas till like eight. So sometimes he'd be out there practicing and, you know, we'd get him in there. But other than that, no PGA pros. I know that, you know, there's others like John Daly and Joe Pesci and whoever who would gamble, but I'd never cross paths with those guys on the, on the course anyway. How does the poker like season work? I mean, are there times of the year where you're kind of taking downtime from poker and kind of for those that aren't familiar, like explain like what has all happened with online poker and all that in that world uh, in the last few years? Yeah. So I do the, the majority of my play in one stretch in June in the middle of like in a six week period from June to middle of July, I do the whole, I do a daily vlog every day on YouTube, kind of tracking my results uh, throughout and stuff and make sort of like a TV series out of it. And that's where I spend every day playing. And outside of that, very little, it's the world series of poker, which happens here in Las Vegas. Um, outside of that, there are events and there are tournaments. I will be going to play one later this year in Rosvedov. As for online poker, um, depending where you live, there are some legal places now that you can play online poker. Las Vegas is one of them. You can also play in New Jersey, I believe Delaware, Pennsylvania. Legislation is slowly coming around, very slowly, because politicians just don't, they don't really get it. Like they don't understand why poker is different. Um, but with sports getting legalized across the country, there's a little bit more hope that we'll see, you know, online poker more at a, you know, sort of a, a level where everyone in the country can play. I'm curious to your thoughts. Do you consider poker and this might sound like a dumb question to, to those listening at home but do you consider poker gambling it can be for example if you played poker with me you'd be gambling i'd be working <laughs> correct right so yeah i mean obviously yes i would consider it a form of gambling but it is one of the forms of one of the few forms of gambling where you can actually get an edge you can't go into a casino unless you're cheating and play roulette and and win you're going to i mean you can win sometimes but you're not going to win in the long run poker and sports betting and you know, horses and all that. Those are, that's a, those are the few of the areas where if you're smart enough, blackjack as well, where you can actually, uh, you know, win money. Do you like to play other games in the casino other than poker? No, I knew that when I moved to Las Vegas and I obviously didn't have a lot of money when I first did this, it was super important for me to avoid the pitfalls and the traps of the pit and like winning my money in poker and then losing it all in the pit. So I've, I've made a rule where like, I just wouldn't play at all now that I'm, you know, older and more, you know, I, I don't have a gambling problem and I've got a little more, if friends come to town, they want to play a little blackjack or craps, I will, you know, here and there, but it's, it's, it's not that fun for me. Like f for me, I look at it like, you know, gambling's fun when I can win, or at least I, I have, you know, positive equity when I know I'm just like donating money, it feels stupid. So I just, I don't enjoy it that much. And that's what I, uh, I feel like I was trying to explain to my parents back in my poker playing days. I'm like, D mom, it's not gambling. I know what I'm doing. I'm actually skilled at it. But there is a difference, I think, in, in kind of the way, like you have a, a considerable advantage when you sit down at a poker player because the poker table, because you're playing against other people and not playing against a house. Yeah. The best way you can describe this to your mother next time she asks is <laughs> when you play, when you play against the casino, like you play roulette, you're playing against the casino. Yeah. The casino doesn't lose. When I play poker, I'm playing against other people. The casino is just charging me rent. The, the, the casino is just charging me rent to, 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 to sit in the seat. And I get to play against people who are less intelligent at the game than I am. How, uh, what's your home setup look like from a, from a golf perspective? I've seen some, I've seen some videos and some pictures that, uh, you, you seem to have quite the home setup. I do. I have inside the house, I have a full swing golf, which has, you know, that you, you can, I hit, you can hit driver in there. You hit it, just like you would see it when you go to a, uh, golf shop and, you know, you're trying out new clubs. I've also got two TV, uh, two monitors. We can like, dissect the swing. 
Um, and then you, and, you know, you can also, I don't do this very often, but you can like play like anything from 50 to 60 different courses on there. Anything from, you know, TPC Sawgrass to Pebble Beach or whatever. And then in the backyard, I have a pretty large six hole putting green with a bunker. And, you know, I mostly use it to chip. I don't really putt on there very much. Um, and you can probably chip maybe 40 yards, 30, any, up to 35, 40 yards um, in, in the backyard there. So that's the golf setup I got, uh, you know, at the house. It seems, And then I don't live too far from the golf course anyway. Well, is it Summerlin that you play at almost entirely? Yeah, pretty exclusively TPC Summerlin. You know, occasionally, you know, we'll do it. I did a tournament. I did that American Century Championship uh, in Lake Tahoe a few years ago. And it was a lot of fun. Got to play with a lot of pretty cool people um, in that one. So what's a, like a day like today, we're recording this on a Monday afternoon. What's a day in the life look like for you? Like, will you play poker at all today? Is it, but it's, uh, I guess you're outside that window that we just talked about, but how often will you go sometimes between playing poker? I go really long stretches now. I mean, when I was younger, I played pretty much every day, but you know, now that I've established, I have money, I don't need to, um, like right now, I I mean, I went to, I go to the gym at noon, done at two o'clock, do a podcast with you. (laughs) You know, I got my TV set up at the house with an 88 inch and two forties on top. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'm a big hockey guy, so I'll study that. Maybe I'll go in the backyard, hit a little bit. Um, when it gets a little cooler, maybe around three, four o'clock might hit to the course, play a little bit. But as far as poker goes, um, this probably this whole month of August, I won't, I probably won't play at all. I probably won't play again until October actually. So I imagine you get asked about Phil Ivy a lot, but you said you, you, you hinted that you got some good stories. I don't know if you were hinting at more golf stories that you have on him or what's, uh, what's kind of your go-to Phil Ivy story then? Yeah, well, I gave you a few of them. My favorite is the one where he, uh, you know, was on eighteen and, and yelled at his caddy. But uh, yeah, he's uh, is he a good golf? Like, what's his game like? So that he's, you know, he's a guy that's determined, and you know, he he works hard when he works hard. And there was a point where, from a hundred yards in, he was pretty deadly. Um, he's very technical and mechanical, and like he needs help. Like he's always getting help. He's always got somebody helping him and working with him. And I'm the same. Like I don't hit a golf ball typically without Christian there because I found that when you're gambling on golf, if you don't have anyone there and your swing falls apart and you've committed to 18 holes, you're dead. And I, and I've experienced that. So with Christian, he can just tell me, he's like, Oh, you know what? You know, you need to finish. You're not finishing. You're not finishing the swing. Or he's like, you're coming in flat. I'm like, Oh, okay. So I can make the adjustment because he sees stuff. And so Phil Ivy will do that. But his golf game, I would say at his peak, at his peak, I would say he was probably around, uh, an eight or nine in that neighborhood based on his short game alone, because his short game, you know, his from a hundred yards in, he was pretty good. I want to know some more about like maybe really random bets you have, you've made in your life, whether I hear stories about poker players, they'll say, I'll, I'll bet you, you know, a million dollars, I can lose 20 pounds by the end of next month and stuff like that. What's something that doesn't have to be golf related, something really random that you found yourself betting on at some point. So for me personally, it was about the year 2000, I want to say, and I was sitting at a poker game with a guy named Ted Forrest, who's, you know, a prolific player. And and I was about 135 pounds at the time, you know, pretty skinny kid. And uh, I, we were just talking about weight bets and all this stuff. And I said, I'll, I'll never weigh 170 pounds in my life. There's just no way. And he's like, I'll bet you that you will. And I was, he's like, I'll lay you – he says, uh, I said, I'll lay you 20 to I, – I laid him 20 to 1 that I would never weigh 170 pounds. And uh, so he threw me a $1,000 chip because otherwise it makes no sense. So he's got to pay up front. He threw me a $1,000 chip and I became a vegetarian the next day. And then <laughs> – Go, I went vegan like a year later. So the bet looked pretty locked up. But about five, what, what I want to say, like six or seven years ago, I started to go to the gym, right? And I started to add some muscle and I started to put on some bulk. And I'm like, uh-oh, 
I see 165 on that scale right now, <laughs> and then, you know, and then one day, I mean, I just, I kept gaining some muscle and a little bit extra, you know, you know, <laughs> a little, little tire around the, the belly. And, uh, I weighed in at one and I, you know, this is all on honors. Like he doesn't check my weight every day. And I looked and it said 170.9. So, uh, yeah, the next day I had to give him his $1,000 back plus 20,000 more. <laughs> it was, as I said, there's the, there was there a shelf life on that. It was at any point in your life, if you got to 170. Yeah, any point. So that's that's how he because people go, well, how do you ever get paid? He's like, well, he pays up front, and then if he ever wins the bet, then and we're both still alive, like you know, I uh, I would pay him, I would pay him the the rest of it. What uh, do you ever travel and play golf in, in, in any other places outside of Vegas? And where have uh, some of the highlights of some places you've been? No, really, I've, I've sort of like become a master at the TPC Summerlin Greens. <laughs> you, like, you know that if place. anyone need, if anyone needs a caddy, like Christian actually believes this. Like, he's not kidding. He's like, he thinks that when the pro players come and play that course, you know, once a year, he's like, he thinks I'm a better putter than a most of them <laughs> on that, on those greens, just because we know them so well. And, you know, that's our home course. We don't travel too much. Like I said, the, the funnest trip I had was Edgewood, you know, and uh, I remember that year I played, uh, I looked at Michael Jordan's score from the year before, and my goal was just to beat his score. Um, and I, and I was able to do that. I had, I shot like an 82 with 23 putts. I had 23 putts on the round. Um, I got to play with some cool people, Wayne Gretzky, Bill Lane Beer, you know, uh, Jason Kidd. And it's really, really fun for me to, you know, be a part of that thing. Any run-ins with, uh, with Charles Barkley at all in the golf course? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> it's sad. It's just, isn't it sad? Like he was playing that day in the Edgewich and he was like right behind us. And like, he gave up so much that he started just swinging the club with one arm. Ugh. Like he just used one hand because he has, you know, if you've ever watched, if you've ever, if you haven't seen it, you know, YouTube it and check it out. The Charles Barkley. Yep. It's, fascinating because apparently before he got this yip like he he was like a 10 or a 12 yeah. handicap you know now he couldn't possibly break 150 i was gonna say yeah there's old <laughs> videos of him playing with mj where he swings it free and clear and it's it's it is tough it's really tough to watch do you uh do you, do you dabble much in sports betting i do hockey okay. yeah i'm uh you know like last year actually had a losing year last year for the first year ever um it was a weird one <laughs> there was a lot of weird stuff that happened but uh yeah i plan to uh fired up again this year and uh mostly betting on underdogs i was gonna say are you really totals. analytical when it comes to that i mean i imagine there's so much math then and, and that goes into poker uh and calculating odds and whatnot i know that's just one element of it but are you really analytical when you do any other betting outside of the poker table i would say yes that i am but i could still be even more so like i still have a little bit of like the old school feel which is which is really kind of outdated and you know you shouldn't you shouldn't gamble that way you should just gamble based on the numbers and stuff like that and um, I think this season I'm going to work a little harder on me. I, I do most of my work for the hockey season in August and September and kind of study what I expect the teams to do. And then typically, you know, um, if there's teams that I think will be underrated, I, I try to bet on them more so and vice versa. Yeah, I saw you. I saw you tweeting out some hockey rosters. I was curious as to what the what the what the, the reasoning was behind that. Um, what is, all right. So if you're giving, let's, let's say like a, a, a novice, a true novice, a poker, and then like a somewhat skilled player, uh, what kind of lessons just off the top of your head would you, would you give to uh, like a really, uh, extremely novice player and uh, somebody that at least has been around a table? Okay. Well, this is going to sound like a plug. Cause I mean, it is, I guess a plug, but it's also true. Masterclass. I, I can already guess. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. I mean, I did a masterclass, um, which is awesome. Cause they do like really incredible work with all kinds of like people that are experts in their field. You know, Serena Williams teaches tennis, Steph Curry teaches basketball, Usher teaches performance and I teach poker. Right. So, uh, it's a class that's, I think it's like, if you get like my course, it's like 80, 90 bucks. And then if you get the whole pass, you can watch all their, all their stuff. Like 
well, you know, you can learn cooking from Gordon Ramsay and the list goes on and on. But as far as an actual poker tip I can give you, it's simply this. Learn, just learn the fundamentals, which is like, you know, what hands are, are good and what hands you shouldn't be playing, right? So you want to play a lot, like you shouldn't be playing typically more than 30% of the hands dealt. Like that's pretty loose already. You want to like come in there with pretty strong hands. And the other thing is for a lot of the beginners, I would say is like, if you like your hand, don't just call the bet, raise the bet, be aggressive, take the initiative, be the one that takes the lead. Uh, and the third secret little tip that I would give players that are, because this is the typical mistake that a lot of like novices make when they play against a pro or somebody good, they think, oh my God, this pro must be bluffing me all the time. Probably not. Pros probably just have it. So you, you, you probably shouldn't just like when they bet a lot of their chips, you know, on, when, when, when it's all said and done, they probably have a really strong hand. So, you know, you can usually fold pretty safely. Let's say the worst thing you probably do is watch on television and feel like, you know, a player's habits because they're showing the highlights on television and they're not, you know, if you're folding 20 straight hands, they're not showing that mixed in, you know, they're going to show you with a, with a real nice bluff or when you've got the big hands, I would imagine. Yeah. When they, when you watch the edited shows now, poker sort of evolves um, edited shows still happen, but there's a lot of opportunity now to watch live. So you can watch in a 30 minute delay and you see all the hands, mm -hmm. which gives you a sense of like, wow, you know, when you watch it on TV, like you said, you say like, how, how come they always have good hands? Cause they're only showing those, right. ones. you know, they're not showing the mundane ones where a guy with queen nine raises and everybody folds. Like you, you're not seeing all the nitty gritty stuff unless you're watching it live. A couple more here and I'll let you get out of here. Explain, explain to me why players at your level in poker will arrive late to tournaments. I've always been really curious on that. Well, yeah, it's interesting because that's been a topic of conversation recently in the poker world on Twitter. And, uh, the reason you do it is first, okay. One of the first reasons is you're already in another event. So let's say I played an event and I'm still in. You know, and uh, I get knocked out and it's like four o'clock and another tournament started at two o'clock. Okay, well, I'll look at it and see, I'll jump in, right? The other one is, you know, sometimes you look at the early levels and you think, okay, I got other things to do. I want to be well rested for the later stages. And I don't think that the early levels mean that much. So you might, you know, show up later. For me, for example, during the World Series, I'm playing often 12 to 14 hour days. So that's, that's taxing on the mind and the body. Mm -hmm. So let's say, you know, three weeks in, if the tournament starts at three o'clock, I may just decide, you know, just relax a little bit and show up at around seven o'clock. That doesn't give us an, it doesn't give you an advantage because, you know, you uh, theoretically you show up on time, you have a better chance to, to build chips, but we're human and there's only so many hours in a day that you can devote. So, um, and a lot of times guys might be playing in another cash game. Mm -hmm. They might just be playing in a side game that, you know, they figure the early levels, they can make more money in that and show up a little bit later and, uh, and still be okay. What's the uh, what's the worst beat you've ever had on a golf course? I imagine it's hopefully it's not worse than Phil Ivy holding out from the fairway at sixty five to one. But what's the worst beat you could think of? You know what's so great, and I'm so proud to say this that I remember vividly. And this is so so backwards in terms of what the human mind usually does. I remember the good moments mm -hmm. more so than the bad. I think my worst day of golf was just the way that Phil Ivy looked at me too, because like we're playing at Shadow Creek and I had no chance. You know, and it was like the fifth or sixth hole. And he's just like, it was just depressing and demoralizing because this was pre-Christian, right? Like PC. <laughs> PC. And uh, so once, you know, like I didn't know what was wrong with my swing. And I was just like, I couldn't make an eight. <laughs> you know what I mean? I could just couldn't make an eight. And he's just like, he's making bogey and double bogey and just beating me every hole. And like, we had an agreement where, you know, at that time we had to play the full 18. So it was just, there was nothing I could do. It was, it, it was very helpless feeling. I wouldn't call it a beat. It was more just like, I don't know if any other golfers have ever been through quite something like that, where you just, you, you're gambling for that kind of money and you cannot quit. 
and you just know that you're just going to lose like every hole, another 20,000, another 100,000 or whatever the case may be. All right. Last one. This doesn't necessarily have to be uh, golf related. Maybe. I'm not sure if he's a golfer at all. What's your best or your favorite Phil Hellmuth story? My favorite Phil Hellmuth story. Oh, man. Jeez. Does he play golf? He does. He plays golf and he thinks he's better one-handed. So we were playing and it was actually a decently sized match. He doesn't play quite his whole. It might've been like $5,000 or something like that. And he's, he's on a like scramble and he's playing with these other guys and he's like, we're on, they're on 18 or whatever. And he'd been putting with two hands like the whole time. And then he decided, he decided that, you know, he was, it was a sign that something had to be, that he needed to putt this with just one hand. And everyone's like, okay, Phil, what the hell? You know, they're like annoyed because he's got partners, Right. And they're like, what are you doing? You know, this is our money on the line as well. But, you know, you're not going to convince Phil Helmuth. And it's like a 20-footer. And it's hard to even get it there with one hand. And somehow, Phil Helmuth randomly just, like, decides to putt with one hand, knocks it in, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I lied because I do have one final question. What, uh, if you're, of all the professional poker players, if you had to pick a teammate for a match today, who's the partner you would want most want on your team? Hoo-wee poker player for a match well i'm gonna go with phil ivy yeah. just because i know the match that i'll be in will be good because he will i'll let him do all the negotiating for us <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome all right daniel thanks so much man for the time this has been a lot of fun a little different uh different flavor for us but uh oh we've been dying to hear some uh, some gambling stories from vegas as well as uh some poker ones as well so thanks for taking the time oh anytime guys appreciate you having me on cheers see ya Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. That's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect.